The Cat and Cloud Coffee Podcast is brought to you by Wilbur Curtis. They make coffee brewers. Ever heard of them? If you haven't, you should. They're an awesome family-owned company. They're here in California. They power their facility with solar power, which I hear that's like a new hot thing that progressive people do. The best thing about Curtis, in my humble opinion, is the turnaround time on the Brewers. They have a 24-hour turnaround. It's phenomenal. If you've ever ordered a Brewer for a wholesale client from someone else and waited and waited and waited for it to come in, you know how frustrating that is. So being able to get the Brewer next day like that is absolutely amazing. Shout out to you, Wilbur Curtis. Their customer service is phenomenal. And they just care. They care about you. They care about me. And I care about them. And that's why Cat Cloud Podcast is brought to you by Wilbur Curtis. On with the show. All right, what's cracking, y'all? This is Baca. I am riding solo. Jared's not around. The last two episodes we did, Jared broke down the presentation that he gave at this year's Global Specialty Coffee Expo. So if you listen to those, you kind of already know what's going on. Those were recorded, and they were to be released in podcast format. But the timeline on them being released is a little bit longer than we initially thought, plus... What was suited for an in-person visual kind of PowerPoint slash keynote presentation doesn't always make the best translation to straight audio. So we wanted to re-record everything for you guys, just kind of condense the ideas and bring them out to you. So if you haven't listened to Jared's two-parters, you should go back and do those. This is a completely different topic, so you don't need to do it first, but it's a good listen. So just go ahead and give it a roll. It'll get you psyched. So... The lecture that I gave was called Converting Consumers to Specialty, a practical guide to capturing customers and roasting to blow their minds. And when I started making this, when I started putting this together, I initially wanted this to be a lecture about roasting, coffee roasting, specifically roasting to a certain style to create a product that a whole lot of people, like a really big mass market, could relate to. I started plugging away at this, and I found a couple things. One, I think talking for an hour about roasting would actually be pretty boring and not super motivating or energetic. But then I kept sidetracking myself, and I said, why am I sidetracking myself? And the reason I kept sidetracking myself is that roasting is just a super, super small part of having a successful business. So what this presentation really turned into was some tips, tactics, and strategies that small independent coffee companies can use to build successful and sustainable businesses and hopefully appeal to a mass market. And the reason that this is near and dear to my heart is for several reasons. So one thing that we believe here is that specialty coffee doesn't need to fight over the super small market share. We think that by turning more consumers onto specialty coffee, we can grow that pie. So not everyone's fighting for the same slice of pie. We just kind of bake a bigger pie and there's more to take from. But then the reason that I think this really, really struck a chord with me is that I've seen friends, I've seen people who I'd almost consider to be family who are very talented with coffee. They make awesome espresso. They understand coffee roasting. They're not only talented, but they're really passionate. This stuff kind of runs through their veins. They live it, breathe it, eat it, sleep it. They've opened businesses that have ultimately failed, gone out of business, taken away their life savings, their livelihood, and left them in 
a pretty horrible place. One of those people was me in a different iteration of the first kind of business that I tried out. It didn't really work out that well. So I got to think, okay, what can we do? And I think there's a really big disconnect in the industry from the product that we serve or a passion for the product that we serve and what your average day-to-day customer want and wants and ultimately what's going to support your coffee shop. So coffee is this incredibly amazing beverage. It's super complex. It provides so many opportunities for different experiences just through the complexity of the coffee. Coffee is like this really moody thing. It's there all the time when you wake up in the morning and you kind of start to shake off the night's sleep and get your mind going and figure out all the different ways that you're going to change the world that day. Your coffee's kind of right there with you. Coffee lives in our coffee shops, this kind of third place. It's a place of connection where we can hang out with people who we might not otherwise see. It's this huge, great equalizer. There's people from all walks of life, all kinds of people go to coffee shops. And I think it's awesome because it's a place where, you know, nothing else matters except that you're there. It doesn't matter what job you have, how much money you make, what kind of car you drive. These are the reasons that coffee is so powerful for me. And it's really easy to fall in love with coffee. It's also really easy to fall in love with what makes coffee so special purely from a beverage standpoint. Like Coffee is one of the most complex beverages on planet Earth. Possesses over 800 identifiable volatile aromatic compounds compared to the roughly 200 or so in wine. This stuff is intense. It's like a foodie's dream. And these things are all given to this beautiful beverage and this beautiful plant through things like elevation, weather patterns, soil, picking, proper harvesting, all of these things, you know, stuff that we call terroir. And these things are really, really, really important to us because these are the things that make each individual coffee special. So these are things that we love to talk about. We love to write them down in lists. These are the things that we're trying to capture. This is why we have our businesses to share coffee with people. But anybody who owns a business or is involved with nuts and bolts of a business knows is that it takes so much more than just a deep-seated passion and enthusiasm for your product to make a business thrive. There's all these other factors pushing on us. The real world is crazy. It's full of papers. It's full of bills. It's full of taxes, permits, and files. And it's not the most fun place to live, but it's really important to acknowledge because even though We love coffee in all its complexity. We also run businesses. And as much fun as it is to think that the primary function of a business is to share our passion and our craft with the world, we need to keep in mind that the primary function of a business is actually to generate revenue. Now, generating revenue by itself is not inspiring at all. And if you're thinking, you don't understand, my mission's so much bigger than that, that's totally fine. But it's just important to note that mission and function do not have to be the same thing. So our mission statement at Cat and Cloud is we use coffee to change people's lives. If people interact with our brand in whatever capacity, whether it's coming into the cafe, buying coffee wholesale, making a purchase on the website, we hope to positively affect those people's lives and leave them happier after they had had an experience with us than they were before. So 
our mission drives a lot of the ways we navigate this path to producing revenue or generating profit. It influences how we treat our guests, how we as business owners treat our employees, and also how we treat each other. But still, we know that it's that generation of revenue that allows us to share our passions with people and do the things that move our souls. In a nutshell, if we don't, at the end of the day, if we don't make any money, we won't have any business, and therefore, we won't have a platform with which to share our passions. So this generation of revenue making money is what separates a business from a hobby, and this doesn't mean that we can't love what we do or that we can't deal with things that we're passionate about and we have to sell out and only care about money because that definitely doesn't work as a strategy. We just need to look at things from a little bit of a different perspective and everything has to start with a different place. And a lot of people, and in the past, I would lump myself in, myself in with this group as well, a lot of people start with their passion for their product, go from there. But I think that's not the most important or the most compelling reason to have a business. So I think the most important thing that we need if we wanna have successful businesses are straight up customers, guests, whatever you want to call them. We are here to serve, we're here to make people happy. And while the product's important, what's even more important is that people have awesome experiences with their brand. Now, for the coffee industry, this is a great thing that we need customers because a lot of people drink coffee. So according to a 2014 study by Euromonitor International, coffee is the fourth most consumed beverage on earth by volume. That's at 171 billion liters. That's right behind bottled water, tea, and carbonates, aka soda. In the US alone, the value of the retail coffee market is over $84 billion, and it's getting bigger all the time. Now, that's a lot of coffee, that's a lot of people, and that's a lot of money. And I think this is a good thing. When I see these numbers, and I think about the type of coffee that I see the general population running around with, I think market potential. We have a, a huge opportunity. And depending on whose numbers you look at, and what statistics you follow, you may see a little bit of an inflated size, I guess, of, of what the specialty coffee market is. So the SCA has got some resources. I checked into this a little bit further. So specialty coffee is going to be anything that scored 80 points or above. And there's tons of studies. You go onto the SCA's website, and they have studies about like how big that market is. I got to talking with some friends who bring in coffee, work for importers, and I asked them, okay, the specialty market seems like it's a little big. When I hear these numbers and I, I think about the people that I see running around, I just don't think there's that much specialty out there. So what's the split with, between, let's say, coffees that score in between like an 80 and an 84 and coffees that you bring in that are 84 and a half plus point coffees? Because if you're anything like us, even though that 80 to 81, 82 is still considered specialty technically, that's not what's making up the bulk of your sales and that's not really what you're driving at. And the response that I got was pretty interesting because even with importing companies that only bring in specialty, 
a really, really small percentage, right around 10 of the total amount of coffee, green coffee that they bring in, was actually, you know, 85 plus or 84 and a half plus. And the bulk of it, all specialty, was, you know, 80 to 84. So there's a lot of room at the higher end of the market, which is super rad. And if we want to tap into that, I think we need to relate to what people want out of coffee experience. What are they looking for? So two main things that were kind of driving this presentation was understanding what people want in a coffee experience and kind of bridging the gap between what we want as connoisseurs or coffee nerds and what our guests expect. And the second thing was understanding what is preventing people from making the switch to specialty and or independent coffee. So a lot of people buy coffee. So why don't they all buy it from us? And I have worked in coffee in so many different ways over the years. And I love a good underdog story. And I, I just legitimately think that the world would be a better place if most of the people who bought coffee bought it from independent specialty retailers. That would make me so happy, both selfishly and for the passionate people who I know who love coffee. So diving into it and trying to figure out what do people want in a coffee experience? So we already know probably what we want out of a coffee experience, but are we in tune with the people that we're asking to pay our bills? And if we're going to have successful, sustainable businesses, we need to spend some time thinking about this. And as an extension of that, we need to identify what exactly is good coffee. What are we looking for? So what do people want out of a coffee experience? I think more than anything, people want to feel special. Your business needs to cultivate a feeling. There's this emotional connection that is the heart of every positive experience. And this connection lives outside the realm of raw product quality or hard numbers. So in the specialty coffee industry, there's a story that we hear again and again and again. Guests, customers of our cafes that don't work in coffee, they travel to coffee-growing regions. Let's say they take a vacation. They go to Costa Rica. When they come back, how was Costa Rica? And they're like, Costa Rica was awesome. I had the most delicious cup of coffee that I've ever had in my entire life, which to us is interesting because in reality, we know that the coffee that's used for national consumption in most growing countries is of much lower quality than the average coffee you'd find in any specialty shop here. And that's big box chains included. But they had that feeling and that feeling is so important. They're on vacation. They're not worried about the kids. They're not worried about the dog. They're not worried about the bills. They're not worried about any of that. They're in a beautiful, exotic land. The weather's nice. The people are friendly. The food tastes better. People look better. Of course, the coffee tasted good. Of course, they had the best coffee experience that they'd ever had. They were primed to have that coffee experience. And this idea transcends just the coffee industry. It's present in every purchase we make. We're rarely buying products. We're buying the way that those products make us feel. So a huge part of our challenge 
especially retailers, is setting up an environment that enables our guests to receive that positive experience. So from the time they walk through the door till the time they leave, they need to be put on a pedestal. Our job is basically to make them feel like they're on vacation in Costa Rica. And there's a million ways that you can do this. It's little things like saying hi when they come through the door, if they're waiting in line, reaching out and talking with them while they're waiting in line. Nobody likes to wait in line, but if there is a wait, if you just reach out and let them know that they're going to be taken care of, it makes that wait all the more bearable. Remembering details about the things that they get, really taking the time out to connect with them. And every time someone comes into your coffee shop, every time someone has a cappuccino, that should be the best experience of their life. It's too easy to take for granted your regular guests, but Someone like Lee who comes in in the morning, he just walks down the 36th Avenue, comes on in. I know for a fact that every day he's just getting his mind blown because no one's taking him for granted. So that's so important. Cultivate that feeling. Again, it's not that the product's not important. It's that the feeling is what's driving kind of everything that's happening here. Another thing that people want is they want good coffee. So what exactly is good coffee? Now, as beautiful as like all these varietal characteristics are in the coffees that we buy, the coffees that we roast and drink, people, I think, kind of still want their coffee to taste like coffee. And no matter what we'd like to believe, there's a generally accepted idea of what coffee tastes like. Now, this can vary depending on your geography, but understanding it is super important if we want to capture significant market share and ultimately have the opportunity to later change the way people look and people think about specialty coffee. I say good coffee is anything that makes people smile. I say good coffee is instantly recognizable and it's accepted without debate. It's just good. This is the essence of quality. And while we as coffee geeks might break down flavors, aromas, mouthfeel, finish, etc., the bulk of people who come in contact with our coffee are immediately going to put things into one of two buckets. And those buckets are either, I like this, or I don't like this. And while I think there can be appropriate times and places to challenge our customers, I think it's unwise to build a business with this as its main focus. Instead of taking the angle that we need to push these quote unquote, special, unique, crazy flavors on them, what we really need to be focusing on doing is building a relationship, which is ultimately going to build trust, which ultimately gives us the opportunity to share with them anything that we think is rad in the future. Really awesome example of this is our friend, Mike Reezy aka Reezy Resales. He used to live across the street from where Jared and I worked at Verve back in the day. And he would come in and he would get, no joke, multiple times a day, a 16-ounce coffee. Generally, it was like half to two-thirds full with coffee. And he would just dump tons of cream in there, tons of sugar, mix that thing up. You know, he's spending like five minutes at the condiment bar making this into this like the sweetest, craziest treat. And he would do that three, four Sometimes five times a day, this dude's drinking coffee. It's insane. Never once did he get judged for it. Never once did we look at him and be like, what are you doing? Like, maybe you should do this. Really, 
what ended up happening is he's a really cool guy. He's also a skateboarder. So I connected with him instantly and he's just a down to earth dude. Um, we got to talking. We'd never talked about coffee. It was always skateboarding, videos, computer stuff, tech things. This went on for, I don't know, maybe two years. And then one day he was just kind of out of nowhere. He's like, Hey, you know, I see you guys drinking this espresso all the time. Like, what's the deal with it? And I'm like, well, it's really good. It's also super intense. It's a lot different than what you're drinking all the time. And he's just like, I think I want to try it. I'm like, cool. Made it for him. First shot, obviously pretty intense. Gave him a little bit of a face changer. But he knew there was something to it because he had kind of built this rapport with us and this little bit of trust. And he kind of slowly started switching to espresso. And fast forward to now... He's got a Nova Simonelli. I think he has two in his house. He's got two different grinders. He makes home espresso, pours latte art. He makes some mocha for his wife every day. And this guy's on fire. He's the ultimate coffee nerd. He's got a little like coffee YouTube channel and like a little coffee Instagram. It's amazing. And none of that would have happened if he would have come into the shop and we saw him doctoring up the coffee and be like, hey man, maybe just like, Maybe just taste it before you, before you put that cream in it. Or maybe try it without the sugar first. Because what we're doing, even though we think we're doing it for the good of the product, we're really just putting this big wall between us and the person who's trying to come in. He knew what he wanted. He wanted a sweet, creamy drink. And we're not here to judge him. We're here to just make him happy. And I think focusing on building relationships and making someone happy ultimately gives you so much power and flexibility in the future. Because if at any point you do want to take the angle of like, hey, Mike, you've been coming in here for a couple of years. I think you might want to try this thing. You know, he asked, but not everyone will ask. But at that point, if you do want to offer someone a product or if you do want to get up in their space, you're no longer asking a guest or a customer. You're just having a conversation with a friend and you really can't lose. So I think... We need to be focusing on building that trust, building that relationship. That'll allow us to later on, if we decide we want to challenge the customer a little bit, put something at them that they don't quite understand, we can feel like we're in a safe place. I feel like the specialty industry is pretty guilty of turning a lot of people away really quickly by being really forcible and really kind of like protective of the way our product comes out. It's all about the experience. Good coffee adds to the experience that you're having. It can fly under the radar and it can have a gateway to a more complex discussion, but like only if you're feeling like it. This all kind of seems like a little bit ethereal and a little weird and you need something a little bit more tangible to go on. That's totally fair. So if we were going to break it down in kind of like a score sheet type fashion, like what is good coffee? I'd say that good coffee is multidimensional, but it's balanced. And when we're talking balance, we're talking balance between sweetness, acidity, bitterness, and roast. And we're going to tack on two other things that we want in our coffee, and that is clarity of flavor and a clean finish. Now, I'm not a fan of imparting excess bitterness into coffee through brewing or roasting, but as sweet as your coffee is, coffee is inherently a bitter beverage, so it's still part of the experience. And I think the inclusion of the idea of roast here is kind of like the X factor. And when we're talking about roast, 
You can think about it as your own unique fingerprint that you're putting on the coffee. We're not talking about carbon. We're not talking about ash, but we're talking about roast. We've got this amazing tool that allows us to transform this green seed into something that we can actually pull flavor out of. But for some reason, people seem really intent on letting the intrinsic qualities of the coffee shine. And I thought about this a lot, but I think Tom Owens from Sweet Maria's and Coffee Shrub summed up my feelings better than I ever could in one of his blogs that I was reading. And he writes, the coffee trade is a value-added agricultural endeavor. At each step of the way, there's value added to the product and the price of the product increases accordingly. If you aren't adding any value through your roasting, and it's only these inherent qualities that make a coffee special, then how on earth are you going to charge the prices that you're asking? Now it's Tom Owens. So while it's true that we do need a great raw product with great things imparted into it by nature, it's the process of roasting that spurs all these little chemical changes and chain reactions that allow us to really unlock this flavor potential that's in there. And as such, I vote that coffee roasting should absolutely not be transparent. And again, we need to keep in mind our guests, the person who's ultimately going to be paying our bills. So when I was preparing for this lecture, I created some data via surveys from people who work at or own specialty coffee companies in the vein of seeing if other people's customer feedback matched my own experience in retail, and the results were pretty interesting. So the first question that I asked was, what is the coffee style most requested by your customers? Now, it's kind of interesting without seeing the graph, because the graph really sells it, but Less than 5% of people reported that their customers requested a light roasted coffee. Less than 5% of people came in and wanted a light roasted coffee. Bold and strong was right at 35%, dark 22%, medium 38%. So those are all relatively safe places that a lot of people ask for those styles. Medium roast, bold roast, dark roast, no big deal. Pretty much nobody's asking for light roasted coffee off the cuff. So that's cool. Second question that I asked was when people are unhappy with their coffee experience, which comment best describe their feedback? A couple people, like 2% of people, just under 2% said that their coffee could be too chocolatey. About 7% of people report saying that their coffee is too dark when it goes bad. 43% of people said that either it was either too sour or too tangy. 29% of people said that when their coffee experience is bad, it's because it's too fruity. And just about 19% of people said their coffee could be too strong. So what the heck is this telling us? This is telling us that people don't mind and, in fact, actually prefer a nicely developed coffee. People aren't afraid of roasts or the things that make coffee taste like what the general population thinks of when they think of coffee. Now, again, depending on where you are, your market might have a different expectation, but the key is to understanding and relating to this expectation. And some of you might think, well, if we only give customers what they want, we're really missing out on the bigger picture. And you're partially right, and we're going to tackle that right now, and we're looking at what is preventing people from making the switch to specialty or independent coffee. Now, in the presentation here, I cut to the McDonald's video. And if you haven't seen the McDonald's video, you should go check it out. Uh, Google Mick Cafe, I don't know, makes fun of specialty coffee, something like that. You'll, you'll find it for sure. 
but it's just a one minute slot and it's basically McCafe just poking fun at all the stereotypical barista coffee things. You've got the barista who won't let their customer take their drink because they're not finished with it. They're like busy sprinkling the finishing touches of cinnamon on it. There's a dude sitting at a booth and he gets brought this deconstructed latte, which they took to the next level. And it's like coffee grounds, unsteamed milk and hot water. There's the people walking into this menu that they can't possibly understand because it's got so many offerings. There's the guy making the pour over who is just totally oblivious to everything else that's happening. All he sees is just this little tight shot. And you can tell it's like, all I care about is this pour over right now. Nothing else matters. Go watch it. It's amazing. Um, This video made me really happy and really sad at the same time. On one end, I was pretty psyched because a really huge company, McDonald's, made a video poking fun at the high end of specialty coffee. This tells me that enough people can kind of relate to what we're doing that it's powerful enough for them to make an ad about. So again, this speaks to market potential. People are starting to get what we're doing or get the idea of what we're doing. And it also made me really sad because it kind of reinforced something that I'd known for a while, which is... We haven't always put our best foot forward. There's a million reasons that people choose not to come to independent or specialty coffee shops. But I think the most glaring thing that keeps people away from independent shops and the thing the mainstream media really likes to poke fun at is the experience that people have with the employees. And it's almost as if we have this attitude that suggests because our product is so good that it makes us exempt from needing to go the extra mile on anything else. We really need to pay attention to this because as the style of coffee that we serve becomes more and more common, it's happening already, and as high quality green coffee becomes more easily available, again, it's happening already, we're going to need to find other ways to stand out and other ways to add value to the experiences that we provide. And providing an amazing environment full of amazing people is going to be one of them. Your employees, they're your brand ambassadors. And when you're hiring, when you're interviewing, when you're training, you should think about it the same way that you'd think about an athlete being sponsored by a major brand. This is a big deal. You're basically putting this person in charge of speaking on your behalf. Infinitely more people are going to have an experience with your brand through your employees than they will with you. It's the only way to have any kind of business of scale. So we need to ensure that we're getting the right people to represent us and that we're giving them the proper training and setting them up to succeed. There's really no one more important than our employees. And I was listening to some other material just before, and it kind of reinforced this, which was like, if you pay attention to your employees and take care of your employees, ultimately, they're going to be the ones who are going to take care of your customers. And ultimately, that's what's going to make your business successful. So happy people, shining people, enthusiastic people, motivated people. You should never be too grumpy, too cool, too aloof to serve someone a cup of coffee. It's coffee. Another thing that keeps people away is 
lack of consistency. It's a really bad feeling to wander into your favorite place. It could be a coffee shop, cocktail bar, restaurant, whatever. Whip out a relatively large sum of money for your favorite product, only to be surprised that it basically tastes nothing like you remember and also nothing like you wanted it to. You feel like you just wasted your money. For us, the way we solve this is having a nicely developed flagship or house blend as our go-to coffee, having it on tap, it eliminates that problem. There's no consistency issue. Someone can come in and get the same thing every day. Another thing it does is it provides an accessible entry point into the world of specialty coffee for new consumers. So finding ways to make a first-time customer feel comfortable doesn't mean you have to dumb down the rest of your menu. It just means you need to maybe restructure it. Think of structuring it in layers, the simplest, most accessible offerings first, most prominently featured, and then progressively getting more and more complex. The advanced customer understands the simple stuff, but the new to specialty customer doesn't always understand the more boutique end of things. And a guest in your your store shouldn't feel out of place if they wander in and want just a cup of coffee. So let them know that they can get just a cup of coffee and there should be no judgment about it. Another thing to add on to this is that it's really important that we're aware of the way that we talk about our products. So a lot of people have a big range of coffee offerings and a lot of people have some sort of dark roasted option and A wide range of options is great. Again, it provides that entry point, and then it also provides the more boutique ends of things. But a lot of people talk about it in a sense to where the lightly roasted single-origin coffees are better than your dark-roasted coffee or a more elevated experience than your batch brew that's on tap. And I think that this is absolutely the wrong way to go. One, if you're not enthusiastic about what you're doing... It shouldn't be on your menu. And the other thing is that making people's day, getting people psyched, it's like not all about you. Some people just love dark roasted coffee. For some people, the transition to the lighter roasted connoisseur's kind of lifestyle is a really, really long game. It takes years. Some people will never get there. They either love the way dark roasted tastes or for them, coffee is purely just functional. And that's totally fine. If you can make someone's day by blowing their mind with a dark roasted coffee, that should make you feel pretty good. Because the people who want this are going to buy it somewhere no matter what. So they might as well buy it from you. And for two reasons. One, we get that money. It helps support your business. It's really hard to have a small independent business. Trust me. I know. And two, even more important, it gives you the opportunity to share more experiences with them later. And I know I'm beating that to death, but I think it's a key player here. I'm super, I'm super passionate about it. So deal with it, all right? Um, another thing that keeps people away from independent coffee shops, long lines and wait time. So if your main competitor is some kind of big box chain, you should go over there and take notice of how fast they are. And they're probably pretty fast. And we need to be matching that speed, or at least actively, progressively trying to attempt to match that speed. And if we're telling ourselves the story that, well, they have so much more automation than we do, or our product is so finicky that it's really tricky to make, or this is craft, we're just making excuses 
for why we're not doing our best. And I, I think that only a small percentage of our customers are like going to be bona fide enthusiasts. A little bit bigger percentage of them are going to come because of whatever brand power or local reputation that we have. And coffee is interesting because it's this daily thing. Some people see it as an art, but a lot of people see it as commodity. And a lot of people will gravitate towards what falls in best with their day-to-day routine. The idea of convenience is kind of a factor here. You can have a destination place. It definitely does happen, but I don't think you can double down and be a destination place, have someone go out of your way, and then make them wait in line for a really long time and expect to keep that person as a customer in your store. If I can get good coffee somewhere and it takes five minutes, or I can get coffee that's a little bit better, but it takes 15 minutes every time I go in there, nine times out of 10, people are going to go with good coffee relatively fast. And that's not to say that the product quality, again, doesn't matter. It's just that we need to be aware of the speed that we're moving. And we need to be implementing systems, implementing trainings, and applying them across the board to make sure that we can crank high volume. And there are precedents set for this. People crank high volume, specialty, delicious coffee all the time. So some of the ways that we approach this are, again, saying hi when people walk through the door. It eases the tension, lets them know that they're going to be taken care of. It makes them feel at home. When they're in line, we're calling down the line to get drinks rolling no matter how far they are out. There's no need to wait for someone to get to the register, put in their order for you to start making their drink, especially if the bulk of your customers are repeat customers. You should either be calling down, starting the drink, prepping some aspect of the drink before they get going. We've got a little digital screen POS that's great, but a goal that we have is if we can get drinks out by the time those orders show up, that's awesome. And we rarely, if ever, kind of go into the red on that POS. The colors kind of change as the time goes on. It gets you know darker and darker and red's like you're in the danger zone. And we try not to get there. Um, when you're at the register, you want to eliminate any unnecessary questions. So you want to have default sizes for all your beverages if no size is specified. Standard milk options plug in. The only question you really need to ask someone is for here or to go. And then at the machine end of things, This is where I see a lot of stuff getting really, really crazy. You need to have standardized workflow with standardized espresso recipes that everybody follows. I've been into so many independent specialty shops and they all have someone who thinks they're a fucking hero because they worked at such and such and they do things differently than everybody else because they think it's better. It's not even this person's fault. It's the system that allows them to kind of go this way. But people who do things differently, if there's unpredictability, it's going to slow down the whole workflow. Because if you're working a busy bar, you're never working alone. You've got a bar back or a milk steamer, maybe even two people helping you prep, pour, finish, finish extractions, whatever. So it's kind of selfish to think that this is the right way that I'm going to do it because I work for such and such big coffee company. So even though you might think that this person has some kind of skill and knowledge that you don't have, you need to figure out what system is going to be the best for your entire team and not just this one person. Because, I don't know, barista superstars, they don't really exist. So if you can standardize something, I think you should do it. We've got little like 
tape on the counter that says like where this goes, where that goes. And it seems over the top and it almost seems kind of restrictive. And maybe four or five years ago, I would have said that I don't like that because it's taking away some of my freedom as a barista. And this is my art form. And I totally can relate to that sentiment. But at the end of the end of the day, if you are in the service industry, because it's about you, you're probably in the wrong industry. And that's whether you're a barista, a bartender, a chef, whatever. I think the crux of all of those jobs and the reason that those jobs are special is you get the ability, you have the opportunity every day, multiple times a day to make someone's day better. If you only care about the product, that's freaking sweet. Get yourself a home espresso machine. You can make espresso exactly the way you like it all day. Drink it by yourself. That sounds maybe not like the most fun thing that you would want to do. I get it every once in a while, but if you've got that energy to interact with people, man, it's not about you. It's about the people on the other side of the counter. Same thing if you're a bartender. You know, the best experiences that I have at bars are where the bartender is just crushing the drinks, but also controlling the room, bringing people together, getting people who don't know each other to talk to each other, and just generally leaving people with a smile. Anybody can make a Manhattan if you want to just make Manhattans perfectly exactly the way you want them. Cool. Go get some ingredients. You can have your own home bar. It's just a different kind of situation. So, I think that that standardization or being against standardization for selfish reasons isn't probably the best way to go. The other thing that standardization does is it takes a lot of this mental energy off the table. It allows you to focus on just really crushing it, and it allows you to focus on the people that come through your doors. I'm getting winded over here, guys. I'm getting psyched. A couple more things, and we're going to go. This one's... uh, It's a little bit of a hot topic, I guess. I think one thing that really steers people clear from independent specialty coffee is getting coffees that don't translate well into home brewing. So we should definitely be optimizing our coffees in our cafe. We've got thousands of dollars worth of equipment at our disposal. We should put it to work. But if our coffee only tastes good when it's paired with $4,000 grinder that minimizes fine, we push that extraction to 22%. I think this is a fail. We need to be looking for accessibility across a broad spectrum. So think about a Formula One car. This is a machine that pushes the boundaries of what an automobile is capable of. Speed, acceleration, cornering ability, braking, you've got unmatched performance. Now, imagine driving this to work every day on your daily commute. It'd be a fucking nightmare. It would probably break down half the time. No one actually wants to drive an F1 car to work because peak performance at all costs in a streetcar is actually undesirable, as is roasting coffee that only thrives in hyper-specific environments. And this needs to be part of our cupping or profiling or QA and QC process. We need to taste with intentionality coffees. With intentionality coffees? That's not the way I wanted to say that. We need to taste coffees the way our customers are going to taste it at home. Whole bean retail sales make a pretty sizable contribution to the bottom line. It's essential for the business model to thrive and be sustainable. So roasting coffee that behaves at home as well in our cafe is essential. Now, those are a few things that keep people away from our shops. And again, 
putting these systems in place to kind of knock these things out of the park allows us to grab some of that market share from the big box chains, from people who wouldn't otherwise drink specialty coffee, and pull them into our world and do it comfortably and make them feel safe. There's a lot of there's a lot of competition out there from the big box chains. They do a lot of things better than we do. Now, there's one more thing that we can really exploit on a deep level, and that's our own unique personalities. People love to feel like they're part of a movement, part of something that's bigger than themselves, part of something that's special, and we can provide that. Think about our shop as its own little kind of sports franchise, I guess. And if you put the same care and intention into picking your team, developing them, and putting them in a position to change the mood of anybody who walks through our doors, we're going to have guests, we're going to have customers with those same raving fan qualities that diehard sports fanatics have. Because we can connect with our guests and convey our message to our guests in a way that larger chains just don't care to do. It's not that they can't, and there are some that do, but I think a lot of them, it's just not putting the energy in there. So again, if you're not sure where to start with all of this, all of this thinking, it's kind of inside out and backwards. A good quote that we've said on the podcast a bunch of times, it's a Walt Disney quote, is look at everything through your guests' eyes and not your own. There's a whole other piece of this lecture that revolves around roasting, roasting coffee, some roasting techniques, and I don't think I'm going to tackle that right now. I think I'm going to put that in a part two or maybe talk about it with Jared and we can bounce some other ideas off of each other because roasting is maybe not the most fun thing to talk about in podcast form with only one person here. So I need a little bit more energy to crank up. But this was kind of the meat and potatoes of the lecture, converting consumers to specialty, providing a safe place for them in order to be able to give them experiences, but also setting it up so that we can capture a decent amount of that coffee drinking market. And again, I have to reiterate that this hits really close to home for me because I've seen so many passionate, talented people start businesses that aren't focused on things that are employee or customer facing and it's really challenging for them and there's a lot of pressure to feel like you're part of the cool kids club or you know you check in on instagram or you're checking in on whatever social media outlet and you see you know a few coffee roasting companies or a few cafes that are just top of the game, setting the standard for anybody else. And then a lot of people just try to emulate those things because they're like, these are, this is what's going down and this is what coffee's about. But it doesn't always work like that. Everybody has a different market. Everybody's market has a different expectation and everybody's market will support kind of different things. So what works for someone in the mission district in San Francisco might be different than what works for someone in Brooklyn in New York, and that will absolutely be different than someone like us here in Santa Cruz, which is, for all intents and purposes, a small, super chill beach town. So you can't just copy someone's thing, even though it's working really well for them in their environment, it doesn't mean it's going to work for you. Being passionate about your product and wanting it just so and wanting people to immediately relate to this on the level that you do is a really kind of noble thing. And I totally get it. 
But we need to make sure that we're not pushing that at the expense of our business overall. I've seen so many people have such a hard time with business, and I really feel for them. These are people that are close to me. It's it's tough to have it's tough to have a small business. It's just not the easiest thing. We're very fortunate here. Our team is awesome. I just can't imagine doing something like this without a team like ours. Like if I had to rewind and we had totally different people, I would just, I don't know. I'm like really attached. I didn't think I was going to be, but I'm really attached. Our team's super killing it. So if any of our squad is listening to this, shout out. I appreciate you. Um, I probably don't tell you as much as I should, but I'm telling you now in front of thousands of people. Anyway, converting consumers to specialty. These are ideas. I'd love to hear what you think. You can always write at us at um, podcast at catandcloud.com or info at catandcloud.com. Send us your thoughts. Send us your ideas. Send us what you want to hear. We're working on a few different things with the podcast also. We're working on a little sweet package and we're going to be doing some different things with the editing. And I don't know. We're going to spruce it up. It's going through a little refresh in the next couple months. So bear with us. It's been really busy. But I hope this is helpful and I hope maybe this triggered some ideas for you. And I hope there's some things in here that you can apply to your businesses to hopefully make your customers more happy, make your employees more happy, and ultimately make more money. And it's really not the coolest thing ever to think about money again. But if we can run good businesses that are profitable, that's freedom to do whatever we want to do, whether it's investing more on employees, buying higher quality coffees, getting cool new equipment. So, you know, there's no shame in wanting to generate profit if you're a business. I know there's a little bit of a stigma around that in the craft world or a stigma around talking about it at least, but it's something that we're very proud of. We love that we run a responsible and hopefully time will tell a sustainable business. Anyway, I'm going to go home. It was really great chatting with y'all. I freaking love the podcast and I hope that you love the podcast too. And again, if you want to hear something specific, let us know and I will catch you on the flip side. Stay dialed, y'all. Peace.